I want to talk, like Jerry kind of alluded to a little bit, um, about this concept of freedom, of liberation. And when I, when I think of like movies or, um, you know, things, entertainment, um, things of that nature, uh, I, I love a movie or a TV show that ends in freedom or like the liberation of somebody or a people group or in the case of my illustration, a killer whale. <laughs> Have you ever seen Free Willy? Okay. I was thinking about this this morning, and I'm like, what movie? Okay, all the movies I've watched, I could go with, like, war movies, you know? Like, there's a beautiful, what is it, A Beautiful Life or something like that? The movie's great. Free Willy. So, but you know, like, if you've seen Free Willy, it's an orca whale who's in captivity, and then he, by the, the you know, this little boy who just is so compassionate for him, you know, that scene where he's, like, jumping over the rocks, and the boy's like touching his belly and it's like so emotional and it's like you see the freedom happening and that Michael Jackson song comes on that the lyrics don't make any sense. Like, hold me in the River Jordan or like the River Jordan. What does that even mean? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyways, but that's the moment, man. It's like the freedom, the liberation of the orca whale. Um, so freedom, man. I get jacked up. Patriot, you know, like he picks up that flag and he's running. He's, you know, it's the freedom of, of um, you know, his people. I'm not a good historian. Anyways, there's freedom. I love movies with freedom. Liberation. Uh, in my own life, there's a couple instances that really stick out to me that can resonate with some of these up here more recently. But when I turned 16, um, well, you know, the powers that be before I was 16 told me I couldn't drive. And um, so I abided by that law mostly. And, um, but when I turned 16, all of a sudden it's like you get your license and you have freedom and you're driving. Anyone like recently you're driving in your car and the window's down because you have to, even if it's like 95 degrees, you're like, I don't care, I'm free. And like the wind's blowing through your hair and you got whatever pop song on is, you know, popular for me back then. It was in sync. Um, but I'm like cruising down the road and like there's no one in the passenger seat and it's just like freedom, man. Like I am, I am my own man. I am independent. And then literally one week later, I got the blue flashers in my, back, in my rear views and I'm like, oopsie, it's too much freedom. And my parental figure is revoked my privileges for about a month, so... That was that. Um, but then, when I graduated high school, um, this, this is another, it's weird, I just got chills when I said graduated high school, like that was so long ago. Um, but, uh, but when I graduated, you sit there in that, in your last class as a senior, last class of the day. Some of you guys in here maybe just graduated. And it's, you know, last class, last day of high school, and literally you're sitting there and you're just watching the clock. And you're just like, you know, your head's kind of going with it. And you're like, oh my gosh, 30 minutes. Oh my gosh, 25 minutes, 50, you know, whatever. And then like the bell rings. And I'm not joking at my high school. I don't know what it was like for when you guys graduated, but literally kids are taking their three ring binders and they're ripping everything out and just chucking it in the air in the hallways. Like we're making a mess. Everyone's just like, I don't need these anymore. Like I'm, you know, throwing notes everywhere. And then you're like walking through this paper and all of a sudden the music starts. It's like, you know, Pharrell, happy. You know, you're like walking and you're like, dude, this is all about me. And like there's a choreographed dance or whatever. And, uh, that didn't really happen because happy wasn't out yet. Um, but this freedom, man, like, like high school feels at the time like it is enslaving you, even though it's not, it's good. Um, but when you get out of it, it's like, man, I am free. Never again do I have to enter the classes of Athens Drive High School. And, um, and you walk out of those doors and it's liberating, it's freedom. Um, but on a serious note, uh, there is one instance that speaks louder than those in my life when it comes to freedom. And that's the point in my life that I really understood um, the freedom that I have through the power of the spirit that lives in me to overcome 
and um, to have victory over the sin that was defining my life. And so that's what I want to talk about really this morning is, um, is who we were before Christ, who Christ has made us to be, um, and then also some action steps on how we can really pursue Christ to maybe get out from underneath some of the, the sin that may be um, enslaving us. So I want to jump into Romans chapter 8. In verse one. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And this uh, Romans 8 verse one is really the big, big idea verse. Uh, and then we're gonna just kind of expand on that a little bit together. Um, but when I think of one verse of scripture in my life that really rings true over and over and over again, it's this reminder in Romans 8 one. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is implying here is that if there's now no condemnation, that means before there was some condemnation, right? If there is now none, that means before there was. So you define condemnation and you get kind of to the bottom of it. And condemnation is defined um, as a, um, a sentence for somebody for a particular um, action. So a punishment, if you will. So when you think about the reason that we're condemned, it's because of our, our sin. And I'll explain a little bit um, what that means. So uh, before we experience Christ, the freedom he offers, we are condemned. Uh, we are sentenced to death. Romans 6.23 tells us that. The wages of our sin is death. Um, but uh, Adam and Eve in the beginning, um, oh, my notes. Adam and Eve in the beginning sinned and um, they disobeyed God. And the relationship that was intended to be perfect in the garden was obliterated when they, when they decided to make that decision. And so as human beings, as fellow humans, we have inherited this sin nature. So when we are born, we are born into sin. You don't have to tell someone that. You can look at their two-year-old and know that there is sin in our lives naturally, right? They don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm gonna sin today. It's just a natural thing. And so we are born into sin. We inherit that from, um, from Adam and Eve. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. So what we deserve, our sentencing for our sin is death. In other words, we deserve eternal separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we get because of our sin. And so without Christ, we stay there and um, we live under that uh, the slavery of sin in our lives without him. Um, Romans 6.20 tells us that we were slaves to sin. So that's kind of where we're at before Christ. And um, what Paul is trying to get at here is, listen, if you, if you are a follower of Christ and you have a relationship with Christ, there's no more condemnation. There's no more sentencing you to death. That sentence is, is gone. So there's, there's hope now. Verse two, here's why. Um, the law, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit has set you free. Those three words are really um, what get me pumped up. When I think of the songs that we sing, we sing the songs this morning and we'll sing, it is finished. And we'll sing, um, you know, songs that, that talk about um, the, the chains being broken or the victory that we have or Christ overcoming. And those kinds of songs are the ones that get me because of um, what he's done in my life. He set me free. No longer is there condemnation, he set me free. So Jesus comes to earth uh, because God loves humanity so much that he sends Christ down and we're sentenced to death, but yet Christ takes our sin. He takes that death, our punishment upon himself on the cross and he dies that sin or he dies that death for our sin um, so that we don't have to, so that there is hope and there is opportunity for us to enter into a relationship with him um, and be set free from our sin. And so that's where we'll focus. Um, I'm gonna go to, to Romans 6 and really kind of dive in here together. Um, this is kind of a bigger explanation, Romans 6, 1 through um, 14. This is kind of the explanation of why 
the no condemnation or the how, I guess, behind it. Um, 6.1, Paul kind of starts out in a funny manner. It's kind of sarcasm in a way. But he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So have you ever, okay, infomercials. You guys ever see those infomercials late, like on TV? And these dudes are, these dudes are, they're, I guess they're just incredible. Like these, I don't know where they find these guys, but the energy and passion that they have for what they're talking about just blows me away. Like up here talking about Jesus, like it makes sense that I'd be passionate, right? But they're like, all right, we're gonna take this little thing of carpet right here and we're gonna take this ketchup and we're gonna you know, smear the ketchup on it and some mustard and we're gonna make a hot dog carpet, whatever. And then we're gonna put some motor oil in it and we're gonna take this goat and we're gonna put blood on it and we're gonna, cause that doesn't come out of anything, right? And then we're gonna get some chocolate syrup and we're gonna get some pencil shavings and we're gonna rub it all in there. And, and here it is, look at this mess. And they're like, and then you take this carpet cleaner and you put it on your, you know, whatever. And you spray it on this and rub it one time and check it out. It's perfectly clean, you know? And they're like getting hyped up and you find yourself getting drawn in. You're like, yeah, 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 you know? And, uh, and then you realize, it's all a hoax. Um, but but they're, they're putting all this stuff all over the carpet. And, and they're like, the whole point is to show you the more that they make a mess of it, the more, that, the more that they ruin that piece of carpet, the more impressive that cleaning solution looks, right? So in other words, what Paul is saying with some arguments that were going on in the day is, um, do you really think that the more that you sin, the more God will be glorified? Is that really what you think is gonna happen? Like that was the attitude of some people back then. Like I just should sin as much as I can because then God's gonna look so much better and his forgiveness is gonna look so much better. Um, there was a guy named Rasputin and uh, Rasputin was a religious advisor to the ruling Romanov family in Russia in the late 19th, early 20th century. And he was a firm believer in this concept. Um, he believed that the more you sin, the more God would give you grace. That's just kind of how, how it worked. And so um, he would teach and preach that the, um, if, if you were simply an ordinary sinner, if you were just like a normal sinner, then God wasn't really getting the glory that he deserved. So you should be an extraordinary sinner. And uh, that's just is mind boggling to me. Like if you, if you could really believe that God, from everything we see in scripture, how he loved us so much and cared so much about taking care of our sin, getting rid of that from our lives, why would he want us to live so much in it that he would get glory? That just doesn't make any sense. It's absurd to me, but that was the belief of some people. So that's kind of how Paul starts. He kind of starts with um, some sarcasm and then he goes right into verse two um, and he says that, um, he says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So basically that's absurd. Are you idiots? Are you ignorant? If you are dead to sin, if, if you have put to death sin in your life, how can it still reign and live in your bodies? And that's kind of the whole point of the message this morning. So dying to sin, as he says in verse two, would imply a finality of something, right? We know that death is the final end to something. We don't really experience resurrection as has only happened very few times in history. Um, but you see, um, you see the the. the body of sin being put to death through Christ. And so um, Paul, Paul is talking about, by the way, Paul's talking about not like, okay, if I'm a Christian now, I'm not gonna sin because obviously we do. I mean, that's very apparent. But what he's talking about is um, the habitual nature of sin in which it would define our lives. So um, when you're so enslaved by it, when it's so overbearing, when it's so a part of your life that you can't help but sin in that area. 
Uh, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the, you know, the mistakes that we kind of slip up here and there as believers who are fighting, who are doing battle with our flesh, uh, having the spirit living in us. That's, that's real. Uh, but what he's talking about is those who are enslaved to sin and their life is characterized by that and not by the righteousness of God. There's a big difference in those two, um, those two areas. So my life at different times was categorized by certain sin. I would say in high school, my life was probably characterized by the sin of lying. And I was a very, very, what I thought, I was a very good liar. And so much so that like instinctively, even if I didn't do anything bad and someone would just ask me a question, I would just lie about it. Like that doesn't make any sense. But my, like my nature and my bend was just to lie. Like if I just say this, maybe I don't have to talk about it. Like maybe they'll just stop asking me about it or whatever, right? Um, And you know, literally I was the kid, you'd think after like being a little kid, you would learn, but I was like the high schooler that would like eat the Oreos and have stuff all over my face. And my mom's like, do you eat the Oreos? And I'm like, no. I don't do, you know, and I still haven't like falling out of my mouth. Like that was just my nature. Like I just lied about everything all the time. That's just what defined my life. And if um, even to the point where my parents didn't really trust anything I said, they didn't really believe me at all because I lied so much. Um, and so that was what defined my life. And then um, later on, when I graduated, went to my first college and kind of dropped out of that one because it wasn't really working for me. Then my life would have been defined by religious hypocrisy because I was involved in Campus Crusade. Uh, I was, you know, playing in praise bands at church. I was going on mission trips. Um, I was drinking a ton. I was throwing parties for high school kids. And um, I, was a, I was a huge hypocrite. I was two-faced. I was the person that Jesus vomited out of his mouth in Revelation because I was, I was not deciding whether or not I wanted to follow Christ or live my own life. And so I was, a, I was a hypocrite. I was a massive hypocrite. And if you knew me then, really deep down, that would be what defined my life. And so I wasn't defined by the righteousness of God. But Paul says, if we have died to sin, we can no longer live in that sin. It can't define us. It can't be what, um, what motivates us or what moves us to action. It's impossible. How, the, how is something that can dead, is dead still live in you? It's, it's illogical. So um, I, want, I want you to see what he, what he says next in verses three through five. Um, so this is, this is where it kind of starts to get cool. Um, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Jesus, he goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, and he's, he's risen um, on the third day. And so spiritually speaking, when we become followers of Christ, by the way, this is like, super, super deep theologically. And if you wanna go back and study it, you can study for hours because I did, but I'm gonna give you kind of like surface level here of what this means. But when we become believers, when we become followers of Christ, when we accept that gift and become Christians, we enter into this kind of union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We, we die to our old self and that is buried. Our sin is buried in a grave to rot forever, no longer to be and then we rise to newness of life. And so in a way, spiritually speaking, we enter into, Paul says, this, um, this union with, this shared experience in a way with Christ. So he dies, is buried and rises. We die to ourselves. we are buried and we rise again. Uh, this, is, this is a symbol of, symbolism of baptism, right? This is one of the reasons why we do baptism. Christ commands it of us, but we're, we're sharing that experience and saying, I believe this. I believe that what Christ did for me is this. I'm, I'm going under in the death and I'm coming back in the newness of life. And so it's not what saves us, but it's a symbol of our union with Christ in that, um, in that area. 
Um, so, so that's a pretty cool thing to me, to know that we have kind of that union um, with Christ. Um, and then in the end of verse five, he talks about how one day we'll be resurrected finally to heaven with, with Christ and see him face to face forever. And so you have this, this shared experience. It's really, really cool. Um, and then he goes into um, really the heart, I think, of the message this morning, verse six and seven. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. There's that term again, been set free from sin. So our old self, who we were before Christ, here's what um, a, really, a really good commentary written by Douglas Moo, here's what he has to say um, on, this ver- on these verses. He says, the believer who was crucified with Christ is as definitely and finally dead as a result of this action as was Christ himself after the crucifixion, spiritually speaking, of course. Just as Christ's crucifixion meant his release from the realm of sin, the law, and death, so our crucifixion with Christ means our release from the realm of sin, the law, and death. So when we experience Christ, our old self dies, is placed in the grave, and we're granted freedom from that sin through Jesus in our lives. And oftentimes, I think we, we kind of get Maybe we don't understand truly what, what Paul's saying in passages like these, where we say, okay, so now when I'm a believer, I have freedom from sin, but we kind of equate that to the freedom from the penalty of sin, right? Like a lot of times we're, we don't wanna go to hell. We're, we're kind of nervous or scared of that. Um, so we become a believer. We really do believe in our hearts, but then, okay, now I'm saved from hell. So I'm just gonna kind of live my life knowing that I'm secure in my eternity with, with God. And then, but then we just kind of do our thing, right? We don't really pursue Christ like we should be pursuing him. And I think if we truly understand what, what Paul is saying here, the freedom that we really have, it would cause us to live differently because it's not just the freedom of, from the penalty of um, sin, but it's freedom from the power that sin holds over our lives. So if you think about it in that sense, it's, it's more the day-to-day life that we live rather than like, okay, I've made this decision, now I look forward to eternity, but it's okay, I have power over these areas of my life because of the spirit that lives in me and because of what Christ did on the cross. And so that makes it, um, for me, more overwhelming because of the power that that is, that Christ holds, um, because of how I was so gripped by sin previously in my life. And so, yeah, it's great to be saved from hell, but to be saved from the power that sin holds over my life is so much more for me um, as I wake up every day and I'm thankful for that, that I don't have to, to... struggle in the way that I did before I I really knew Christ. Um, But it's unavoidable if we don't know Christ, right? It's it's pretty obvious when sin is reigning in our lives, when we don't have the freedom from it. Um, You think about about this, you know, the idea of gravity, okay? Gravity is everywhere, obviously. Um, And we kind of just know gravity to be true. And we go about our days trusting and hoping that gravity still exists, right? Like I'm, I'm not gonna walk out and be like, I wonder if gravity exists today and like jump in the air and just hope that I don't float off because I know that gravity is real and when I take my step, I'm gonna stay on the earth and I know I'm not a scientist, but rotation and all that stuff, fine. But gravity, okay? Um, we know, right? Like we don't wanna drop our phones because if I drop my phone, you know what's gonna happen, right? And it's gonna be like, bam, and you're gonna have that moment where you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, but it's like the whole, it's like slow motion when you drop it. Why? Because gravity, you're like fighting gravity, like my fingers, but gravity, you know. We know it's real and it's undeniable. You can't deny the existence of gravity. The point is, before Christ, you cannot 
deny the existence of sin in your life. You are a slave to it. This is what Paul says in Romans 6.20. It is what reigns in your life. Christ does not, sin does. Um, so the power that Christ holds over that sin is, is monumental. Um, so I think oftentimes we, when we don't truly understand that, we allow sin to, to just weigh us down and we allow sin to really get a hold in our life and, and reign in our life. And um, we don't really see hope. We don't really see that there's a way out from under it because it's just so real and so, um, so I guess, just weighty. And, um, and what Christ wants to do is say, look, I am capable of taking that off of you and I'm capable of taking care of that for you and capable of bringing you out from underneath that. Um, and I'm gonna give you some, some ways um, here in a second that we can pursue that. But first, I wanna, I wanna kind of bring you into my story a little bit. And I'm a little bit glad that my mom's not here this service because she was first and the story's about her and it makes me cry <laughs> and I'm gonna cry again, but not as badly. It was bad for a service. Um, I try to keep my eyes away from that side of the room. I'm like, and my mom? She knew she's back there. Um, for me, it was, uh, I, I mean, I, I, could, I could paint a picture if I was a good artist. It was Sunday morning um, and it was, um, 2004, and I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my mom, and uh, it was about this time, probably. And she said, hey, we missed you in church this morning. Um, just wanted to make sure everything is okay. And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. I'm just really tired, you know. And um, I hung up the phone, and, uh, you know, I looked around the room that I was, that I was in, and there was, there's people everywhere scattered all over the floor, and you know, empty beer cans everywhere and everything from the night before, basically. And uh, it, it was that moment, that phone call that God used in my life to really wake me up and say like, you know, Adam, what are you doing? This is not the life that I intended you to live. This is not what I have for you. But I was so, I was so overwhelmed and so gripped by this sin in my life that I just accepted it as, as how life was gonna be. I just accepted that every single weekend I was gonna be partying and that's just what my life was gonna be. That's the people I was hanging out with. That's what they were doing. That's just what I was gonna do and I was gonna continue to live that life. And when I got that phone call, um, that week I moved out of the house I was living in back with my parents. And it was, I mean, literally it was that phone call that set into motion the series of events that would lead me to right here this morning. Because I realized that, um, that there was so much more power than I was trusting in. And I was trusting so much in myself and like how I wanted to live and, and having fun and, and just pushing everything else out. And when I realized the power and the freedom that comes from being able to get out from under that kind of sin, man, it was life, literally life altering and life changing. So much so that I left it in the past. I moved out and I, and I didn't go back. Um, I, I went to California for a summer to get away I played the drums at this camp. God worked in my life in that way. I went to Italy for a mission trip with Brian who played a huge role in my life. But I realized that there was so much more for me and the sin that was weighing me down was, was so small compared to the power of Christ. And, um, and that was it for me, man. And like, so, so then I go, you know, I go back to school, I go to Bible college, I get a job here. And I, I looked back, blown away at what God can do when you just allow him to work and, when you, and you give him your life and allow him to take the sin from you and give you that freedom that he promises in scripture. 
Um, people that knew me back then would tell you the same thing. They'll say, man, I can't believe that Adam's doing what he does today because of the life that I was living. But it's the power of Christ, man. But I had to believe that that power was real. I had to believe that Jesus could bring me out from under that. I had to believe that, that he was enough and that the things that I was doing were not enough to satisfy. They weren't enough to get me you know, through my life. They weren't enough to, to make me who I felt like I wanted to be, but I felt stuck. I, I knew in that moment that Christ was. And so I changed everything about my life and here I stand today. So maybe that's a little encouragement for parents. <laughs> like look at my kid, but there's hope. Um, so uh, at the end of this section, here's where I want to kind of um, give you some action steps. He, Paul gives us kind of three things to, to consider. Um, I think to think on every single day if we want to do battle with, with sin and if we want to see victory in our lives. So uh, verse 11, first and foremost, here's what, uh, here's what Paul says. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourselves dead. In other words, you got to believe it. You got to believe it to be true. Um, that's the point that I came to. I finally believed that that was true and that Christ could. And um, that was the, the powerful moment. I, I have a two and a half year old and uh, she's been in a, in a bed. I said toddler bed, but my wife corrected me first service. Apparently it's a real human sized bed. And um, she, she sleeps in it every night and has been for like a year. And she's a very intelligent young child. She really is. Uh, but for some reason, she hasn't put it through her mind that when she wakes up, she could very well get down out of that bed. Um, she has the power to do that. Uh, she gets up and down out of the bed during the day when she's playing and reading books and all that. Um, but in a sense, in the morning, she's kind of trapped. She's kind of a slave to that bed because she hasn't figured out the power that she holds. And um, a trite illustration, I know, but in the same way, when we come to the realization that we don't have to remain here, we don't have to remain trapped, we don't have to, to stay where we are, but that Christ gives us the power to overcome, um, I'm not gonna tell her that because then it's all over. Um, but as long as she can, I'm gonna let her sit in that bed and awkward look, awkwardly look at me through her little monitor you know, and like look at the camera. She's like, are you coming? <laughs> like, yes. Um, so, but, but that's it, man. You gotta believe. You gotta believe that, that Christ gives you the power to overcome, that the sin that you feel so gripped by is not as strong or nearly close to as strong as the power of Christ uh, in our lives. So we have to believe that he can actually do that. Number two, we have to do battle, okay? Verse 12, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign. I know that's kind of easier said than done, right? Well, okay, fine. Sin, I'm not gonna let you reign today. All right, sweet. Uh, you can't just like say it and, and make it come true. You have to do battle. It's a, it's a daily battle. We wrestle every day. It's one of the results of the fall. Our flesh battles the spirit. And so as we're perfected to the image of Christ, we still battle. And so I think one of the best ways that we do battle is this right here. Because God gives us pretty much everything we need to know about what we're dealing with in our lives. Um, think about these, these specific sins, uh, if you will, and think about these passages that, you know, maybe, maybe this particular passage wouldn't apply to you in the situation, but um, I think scripture is a powerful thing regardless of the situation. So um, think about, you know, if lying, for me, lying in high school, Ephesians 4.25, if I would have known this verse and hidden it away in my heart, therefore, having put, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of, one of another. So God says, put away falsehood and speak truth with his neighbor, Okay. I know God tells me to do that, so maybe I should try. A gossip, you a gossip, Proverbs 18, seven and eight. A fool's mouth is his undoing and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. 
A fool's mouth is his undoing and his lips are a snare. So that's a warning. But we remember those scriptures. Do you struggle with lust? 1 John 2, 16 says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, be- and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Anger, James 1, 19 to 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so we have scripture that we can hide away in our heart. This is why it's so important that we do that because when we're tempted in one of these areas or any area, we can combat that temptation with scripture. We see Christ doing that. When we see him being tempted, he uses scripture to fight the temptation to sin. We know Christ was sinless, but Christ also was in the realm of sin. He was, Christ was freed from the realm of sin, meaning he lived in a world where there was sin and he was tempted by it. He was tempted by Satan in the desert. And so he never succumbed to that temptation, but he was tempted. So for me, I just, I have so many verses in my head that I've memorized over the years that I literally just like rattle off things that don't make sense to my situation. Like I am a really, really impatient driver. I'll just go ahead and say that Um, because everyone else needs to go back and get their license because I am perfect. Um, But when I'm driving, like I'm tempted, whatever it is, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I feel it building up and I just like, I'm like, for in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For God to love the world that he gave his only God. I'm like, I've, you know, I've, I can't even think of it right now. Like, I don't know, Jesus wept. (laughs) Like I just, whatever verses I can think of, I'm just like, okay, just say the verse, say the verse, say the verse. Because when I say the verse, my mind focuses on scripture. Even if it doesn't pertain to that temptation, it's like my my mind is focusing, even if it has nothing to do with it, but it takes my mind off of that current temptation. And so that's a powerful thing. Scripture is very, very powerful. And so I would encourage you, if you're doing battle daily, as, as we all are, use scripture to do that. Memorize verses that have to do with the temptation that is most real in your life right now. And then I'd also say, as we're doing battle, that it's very, very important to, to find accountability in your life. Um, we see in, in uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, brothers, if someone is caught in, in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'll tell you how powerful it is to have someone fighting for you when you're going through something, someone fighting for you in prayer, someone going before God uh, in prayer, um, someone who will ask you the tough questions, someone who won't judge you because of the things you're going through, but will love you through it. Uh, accountability is, is massive. And when you can, it's, it's a liberating thing even in and of itself when you can share your, your struggles and sins with somebody else who you trust. Um, so I would say find somebody else to, to have accountability with. Uh, it's so much easier to, to go through life with someone else who's, who's fighting with you and for you than it is to do it by yourself. Um, and then in verse 13 is the final one. Um, it says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So everything about us should be in an effort to glorify God, to, to give God glory, right? Everything that we do, everything that we say, I can remember like it was yesterday. Here we go again, man. Bald Head Island in that chapel. All morning was spent in the presentation of the bride, right? And you have um, just all the stuff that, I don't know what they do. I literally got dressed in like 10 minutes. But they get ready. But I'm standing up there on, on, the, on the stage and here she comes around the corner. And I'll never forget it because it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But the presentation of the bride um, is so important. And just like that, we, as we live our lives and pursue Christ, we should be 
even more so dressing ourselves in righteousness to present ourselves before God so that he gets glory, so that he gets honor, um, so that righteousness shines through in our lives. Think about a shovel. That's, that's a weird transition. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and get right past the tears, okay? Think about a shovel. We're, we're currently building a deck in our backyard, and step one of building a deck is digging holes. Got some kids in here that helped me do that. Listen, you ever want to have free labor, become a youth pastor? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're digging holes, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, these things are massive footers. We're, we dug 24 of them, which, what was I thinking? Um, but the shovel, right? As we're digging these holes and you're thinking like, man, this is like so hard. And, but the end in sight is that we want this, this deck, this extension that we're building to be a place of ministry and a place where we can love students and a place where we can build relationships and um, a place that we can just see life happen a little bit more than we do in our home currently. And so that's the idea. So as we're, we're using these shovels, the end goal is ministry and relationships and God's glory. And so the tool of a shovel is used in that way. On the flip side though, when the kids dig their initials into the concrete footers, you hit them in the back of the head with a shovel. Just kidding. But you can, I'm just kidding. It's cool, man. You'll be there forever, Hunter. Okay, so you take that shovel, <laughs> you take that shovel and you hit someone in the head. That's not a good way to use that tool, right? That's not a good way. So it depends on how you use the things that God has given you, right? Your speech, your mind, your actions, right? Um, the, maybe it's money or the things that God has blessed you with. So the challenge is, the, the all areas of your life, are you using those areas to really present um, dressed in righteousness things to God or are you using them selfishly? Are you using them for, for your own gain, maybe to throw under, other people under the bus to better yourself? Um, so that's the challenge. We bring it. We bring these, um, these offerings to God dressed in righteousness. Um, and then finally, there's a promise in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So finally, kind of the bookend is that sin will have no dominion. It will have no reign over you. It will, it will not hold power over you. It's impossible as a believer for sin to hold power in your life because it has been put to death through the cross of Christ. And so for me, thinking on my life and the things that I was defined by and the power that is held in the spirit uh, of, of God that indwells me right now, um, it just blows me away. And so for me, this speaks more true than anything else in the world, the freedom that I have um, in Christ. And so I, I pray for you this morning that if there is anything um, in your life that's really weighing you down, um, that you feel kind of a slave to, that you feel trapped by, you can't really get out from under it, um, well, we'll have some people down here up front um, totally after the service, like at the very end for you guys to talk to you. But right now we're gonna, we're gonna enter into communion and Scott's gonna come out and play a little bit. And um, what a perfect way to kind of end just dwelling on freedom and what Christ did and the power he holds over sin than to really contemplate uh, your own life. And um, if your life is really defined by righteousness, would someone look at your life, the innermost parts of your life and say, yeah, that person is pursuing Christ and is defined by righteousness or the things in your life that really have a hold on you that you can't seem to get out from under because if that's the case, there is power in the gospel. There's power in the cross. So much more than that, than that uh, I guess, slavery that we feel to sin. So, so dwell on that. Uh, for a few minutes, Scott's gonna play a little bit, but before we, we enter into communion and celebrate what Christ did, just think, think on your life and think about, um, think about what Christ has done and what you'd like him to do. Let me pray over you and then, um, and then we'll do that together. So God, thanks for today. Thank you for your word and thank you for 
truth and the power that is um, held in the cross and your spirit um, and you. And I know this is, uh, this is so real and true for me, um, the marked difference in my life as a result of just a few small things, but realizing the power uh, of your son. And so I just pray God in this room that if there's anyone that's struggling, that's feeling overwhelmed, that feels like there's no hope and there's no way out, God, there is a way out and that's your son. And so I pray that you would just encourage them and show them that and um, just give them the courage to come and talk to someone to, um, to maybe get some prayer or some action steps even further um, on how they can get out from under it, God, because you promise us um, that, you, uh, that there's victory and that you've overcome the world, you've overcome sin. And so let us live in that, God. Just give us a great time together as we take communion and remember and celebrate what your son did on the cross for us, God. We love you in your son's name. Amen.